What seems like a quick summer to some is a long off-season to hockey fans. The 2019-2020 NHL season is finally underway, and for the first true episode of What's Up the Sports podcast, we'll break down some key storylines for the upcoming campaign. This is What's Up the Sports podcast. Oh, what a night. Tonight, it feels like. And just like my pilot episode, that was Mike Abatsidis, the Abatsi Project, with a musical introduction for you. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Randy Kure here, and I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. You may have heard my introductory episode, which I called the pilot episode. I gave a description of what the show is about and a few people who I thanked for their support. Very quickly, I have a couple more people to thank, and believe me, I am done with the shoutouts. Until, of course, the next time I have to give more shout-outs. But to Jason Kennedy, who's a friend of mine I went to broadcasting school with like a thousand years ago. I really hadn't seen him in a decade. He's absolutely killing it in the broadcasting world. And I needed help, some help in terms of running a podcast. I had no idea what to do. It really took one phone call and after hours of catching up, and a few pounds of wings and a couple of beers. He gave me the rundown on how to get a podcast off the ground. Jason, who has a movie podcast himself, More Than Movies, be sure to find that on your uh, favorite podcast uh, catcher. Jay, thank you so much for the help, brother. Really, really appreciate it. Also, I want to thank Lauren Gavaris, who designed my killer logo. I'll be sure to uh, maybe add her information on Twitter as well, uh, if in case you need a graphic artist. Thanks so much to my colleague, Jay Grant, who is Lauren's uncle, and passed her info to me. Uh, Lauren, I absolutely love my logo. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to work with you. Once again, uh, Twitter on for the show is What's Up Podcast. That's What's Up Podcast, no punctuation, and one P. So this is the first true episode, I guess, of What's Up the Sports Podcast. And it was certainly one summer to remember for sports fans in this country, wasn't it? I mean, we had the Toronto Raptors winning their first NBA championship. And then Bianca Andreescu uh, becoming the first Canadian to win a major tennis tournament in the singles category, both men and women. And don't forget Brooke Henderson, who after winning her ninth tournament in her career became the most victorious golfer in Canadian history. Now that the temperature is starting to drop, we say hello to another season of NHL hockey. The following episode was in fact recorded a couple of days prior to opening night, which was Wednesday, October 2nd. But without further ado, here is a look at the 2019-2020 NHL season right here on What's Up, the Sports Podcast. So the NHL 
NHL season is just underway and of course a lot of uh, changes uh, taking place and a lot of uh, stalled beginnings in terms of uh, star players and whether they're going to uh, uh, sign with their respective clubs. Here to break it all down is What's Up the Sports Podcast insider Tony Antonio. Tony, how are you? I'm great, Randy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me here today. Now, for those of you who are not aware, which is essentially every single person on this planet, uh, Tony and I uh, did do a sports cast as we were once classmate in radio uh, classmates in radio broadcasting school about uh, two or three years ago, right, Tony? Oh yeah, yeah. Just just. Yep, just yesterday, I think, too. We signed off, like, last week, I think, right? Yeah, last week or maybe 16 years ago, in fact. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, it was probably 15, 16 years ago. That's right, that's right. And you know what? It was uh, such a great experience to uh, do something like that. Shout out to Jim Carr of Seneca College, who was our radio broadcasting uh, coordinator. He was a program coordinator, very supportive in terms of our uh, show. And, uh, Tony, you know... I can remember in terms of third and long, which was the uh, the name of the show, that one thing that did stick out was uh, we did an NBA preview uh, episode, and uh, LeBron James was a rookie, and I uh, had the thought that LeBron was uh, the reason why Cleveland was going to flirt with a playoff spot. They didn't make it that year, but they were really close, and uh, that was one thing that stuck out because I believe you and the other two guys who were doing the show didn't really believe that, and it was one of the only times where I actually uh, guessed something right, where you guys were wrong. So that was something uh, that was, you know, a special memory for me. How about you? Uh, you know, I know it's been a while, but was there one thing that uh, stuck out during your days uh, uh, in school? Well, yeah, I, it was kind of cool because I, I, I used to do uh, my internship at the Fan Five Ninety at the time, and for some reason I was working on a Wednesday night. I and the Jalen Rose trade happened as I was there. And I, you know, sent a quick message over to you or, or Dan, I'm not sure who it was. And all of a sudden I'm doing a live call-in during the show, breaking down the trade, because Eric Smith was there at the time too. He was still a young pup. Like he, you know, wasn't where he is now. And so I was having a chat with him. Why would they make the trade now? They're about an hour away from tip-off. All these guys can't play. Uh, you know, it, it was such a cool experience to be, like, in the hub right there as the trade happened. And, you know, it kind of shot a little bit of life into the Raptors because, you know, things weren't, things weren't the greatest in, in, at that time for the Toronto Raptors. So I, that, that was a cool experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you, you go from a marquee player like Vince Carter and really one of the top uh, marketable guys. I mean, Chris Bosh was still getting into his own, but... Uh, really, Jalen Rose was uh, the more notable name on that team. And, you know, as the Raptors are going to defend their championship uh, this coming season, you know, it's a real testament to guys, as you mentioned, Eric Smith and uh, just basketball uh, reporters in this country who there were some really lean years in uh, covering that team. And, you know, after all those years of mate not uh, – covering good teams and so on to actually experience a championship as a reporter must have been a real uh, thrill for them, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, if you spent a lot of years covering, you know, bad teams, I, I would imagine that you get down in the doldrums with 
the day in and day out stuff, right? And you're asking these people who are losing all the time the same questions, and, you know, tensions get created that way, too. So I can imagine it's a huge relief for them. I remember, uh, sorry, we're getting off topic here, but I remember John Molinaro, who's no longer with Sportsnet, but he covered TFC for a lot of years for, for Sportsnet and CBC. And just, I remember um, tweeting him saying, this, this must be a relief for you to actually be, you know, writing and, and, and posting columns about, you know, a world, you know, a class team, a winning team. And this was after uh, TFC winning MLS Cup. This, this was actually the 2017 year where right. they were, you know, on the record-breaking path. They won the Sporter Shield and eventually won the Cup. And even the year before that, they made it to the final. So, you know, and it was it was huge for him. It was just such a huge change in attitude to be able to come into the stadium and have positive things to write about, especially in a time of Twitter, too, because, you know, fans are angry a lot, right? Like, you, there are more fans who are just idiots, and they'll, they'll, they'll tweet out to these guys who cover the teams like they work for the teams, you know, or they're like they're, you know, they're, they're apologizing for the teams, and, and Sometimes they take the brunt of it when things are going bad, too. So, yeah, yeah, from that standpoint, I can see how how very rewarding it is for them as well. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of glitz and glamour uh, to be on center court uh, just before or after a game and, uh, you know, interviewing uh, more popular and uh, famous celebrities and athletes. But uh, it really is uh, a testament to uh, the hard work. Uh, you know, you and I know firsthand uh, how – uh, difficult it is to get that opportunity in journalism. So uh, uh, kudos to them. Now, uh, of course, this is an NHL preview show, and I think we've went uh, four minutes uh, talking about Raptors and TFC. So uh, why don't we get at it? And uh, it just shows our range, Randy. That's right. That's range. right. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, people are still tuning in. They're like, I thought this was supposed to be about hockey, but it is. It is. Trust me. And uh, you know, let's uh, let's uh, start talking about. Hey, an NHL preview show, nat, uh, preview show. naturally you're going to start talking about the St. Louis Blues. Lo and behold, uh, they are defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, you know, it was the first time uh, in the late 60s, early 70s when they actually made the Cup Final. And up until last year, they uh, really never made a sniff in terms of being a Stanley Cup contender. Here they are defending champs. Is that still weird to say, the St. Louis Blues as Cup champs? Uh, no, I, obviously, given where they were in January, but I think last offseason, a lot of people were giving them a serious look. When you make an acquisition like Ryan O'Reilly, you expect your team to be better. The start to that season, you know, I think was, was abnormal. The way the season finished for them was, I think, what was, what was expected. Now, for them to finish from January dead last, getting into the playoffs to making that run to the final, you know, obviously it's an amazing story, but I certainly expected more from the St. Louis Blues before that season started because I thought Ryan O'Reilly was the right type of addition for them. And eventually it got there, obviously a coaching change and, and you know, a different voice, a different look, but eventually it got there. And the manner in which they did it, for sure, Randy, it's crazy, but that's a good hockey team there, man. Like, you can't deny the fact the blue line is stacked. You got a player like Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Braden Shen showing you, you know, the type of versatility he brings you. It just came together at the right time. I guess the only shocking thing for me was Craig Berube being the coach to, to really push that thing over the edge. I didn't think he did such a great job with the Flyers, so 
I wasn't sure he would ever get a second crack at being a coach in the league, but, you know, what do I know? It, it, it really worked out for them. And, uh, you know, you kind of uh, uh, took my next uh, thought away in the sense that Craig Berube was the person who took over a team who was dead last. And for those who are not aware, it is difficult to climb up the standings. Dead last in the NHL just after New Year's, and uh, they finished the season after January 3rd and a record of 30 wins, 10 losses. Uh, going into this year, do you think that uh, the latter is going to be sustainable Sustainable in the sense that St. Louis is going to continue their winning ways and make another run for, uh, for this year? Well, I, I think they should be in the conversation when the playoffs start, for sure. How it's going to pan out for them during the season, who knows, but there's also some contract things that are hanging over their head. I mean, their captain, Alex Petrangelo, you know, he's, he's going to be a UFA, so that's going to be a huge deal. But they add a, they add a defenseman like Falk. So, it, it, you know, in some ways you can say this team is probably a little stronger and Tarasenko is going to be healthy. He, he was not 100% in the playoffs either, and they still managed to, um, you know, to get to the dance and, then, and, and to win the championship with him not being 100%. I think they're in the conversation. I think it, I think the NHL today, Randy. If you get to the playoffs, you should be in. You're probably in the conversation. There's a chance, right? There's a chance. Absolutely. Well, you know, you take a look at uh, an LA Kings team who was eighth in the conference. They won the Stanley Cup. Edmonton Oilers, when they went to the Cup with Chris Pronger, they were, I believe, an eighth place team as well. So yeah, get to the dance, and you know, uh, nothing is guaranteed. You know, back to St. Louis. Uh, you know, you did mention Ryan O'Reilly, and of course, another key cog uh, in their Stanley Cup run was Jordan Bennington. Here's a guy who's 26 years old, never really uh, uh, got a sense or a sniff of the NHL at all. Was called up, and then just, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, should have been uh, Con Smythe winner. Uh, who do you think will have uh, a better season, and who do you think is more important between uh, the for the success of St. Louis between Bennington and O'Reilly? Oh, I think I think O'Reilly will. Uh, I think you, it, it's difficult to replace a guy like that. It, it, everything he brings to the table, just extremely difficult. I mean, Jordan Bennington was was not known. He was longtime journeyman minor leaguer. He came in and, and you know he had the poise and the calm demeanor that helped that team get through some rough patches. But he, you, it, I don't think you can replace a Ryan O'Reilly. I, I think if all things equal, both both guys go out with injury, let's say. You know, you lose Bennington, I think you can get by. You lose O'Reilly, it'll be tough, very tough. I, it's O'Reilly for sure. So, uh, oddshark.com uh, had their predictions and their odds for those to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, it looks like the Blues are uh, behind five other teams in uh uh, best odds to win the Stanley Cup. Odd Shark said that Tampa, Toronto, Toronto, that's interesting, Vegas, Boston, and Colorado are ahead of the defending cup champions. Does that sound right to you? I think it does. I think it does. I think, you know, Tampa's still a stacked team. What happened in the, in the playoffs is, is unexplainable. You know, it's just one of those things. But they, they come back strong. You know, they add a Kevin Shattenkirk to the mix. He's going to help out the power players here and there. It's not going to get a ton of minutes with that blue line. But I think it does make sense. I, You know, and I'm sorry to Leaf fans. I mean, the only team on that list 
where I kind of will take a step back is is the Leafs, and it's only because of the massive turnover they've had over the over this past year, and the teams they're having trouble with, mainly the Boston Bruins, basically haven't changed at all. So it's about that mental aspect of it. When you do get to the playoffs, mentally, are you ready to get over that hump? And, and like I said, there's been a huge turnover for the Leafs. So, but for the most part, I think it sounds pretty good. I mean, doesn't it sound good to you? Like those seem like pretty solid teams. Colorado, I'm not 100% familiar with, to be honest with you, like in terms of like watching them night in, night out playing. But they've got, I mean, Nate McKinnon is, is probably one of the more if it's possible to say, like, an extremely underrated player, we don't talk enough about him. He is, you know, an elite, elite player in this league. Well, I mean, it seemed that he really picked up his game after the World Cup. Uh, and, you know, McKinnon... The more time he spends with Sidney Crosby, the better he gets. Let's, let's be honest. He's got to do more commercials. Timmy's commercials with Sid, <laughs> that that could definitely uh, be huge. And, of course... No, that Sid Juice is rubbing off on him. Right? Yeah, but yeah. Seriously, seriously, yeah. Like, you know, Colorado... They're probably the team there that you really don't know about. The Leafs, you know about. The talent is there. There's obviously they've got they've got a core there that's extremely talented. But the fact that they've turned over the team so much, there's there's going to be a lot of gelling that's going to happen. Plus, you got to get injured players back in the lineup. So it's going to be very interesting to watch the Leafs from that aspect. And you know, obviously they're going to be an exciting team to watch. They always are. But watching how Mike Babcock makes that work to start this season to get everybody in order. New defensive pairings, new line, a new third line centerman, a new fourth line. Like it's it's gonna be interesting, to say the least. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast, the inaugural episode, the inaugural true episode, uh, with Tony Antonio, What's Up the Sports Podcast Insider. And speaking of Austin Matthews, of course he was caught in a uh, legal situation and uh, back home in Scottsdale Obviously, it took uh, the uh, sports world here in uh, the GTA uh, by storm, and of course, the rest of the hockey world. Uh, there was talk of uh, Matthews uh, perhaps being the next captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. How do you think this uh, plays out? And it, the fact of the matter is, is that this is a situation that took place in May, and it seems evident that management Kyle Dubas did not hear about it until the 11th hour and he heard about it through Twitter of all things. Well, here's the sad part here. That's probably why if they decide not to make him captain, that is probably going to be the reason why they probably won't come out and tell us that's the reason why, but sadly it's that trust, right? Like it's, it's amazing to me how something went that long without being reported. And it's even more amazing to me that, you know, Austin Matthews and his handlers tried to cover it up, tried not to talk about it. It's just, it is stunning to me how you can be that careless and that stupid. But like I said, sadly, that's probably going to be the reason why they don't make him captain. Forget the incident. You know, the incident was terrible, but the, the, the cherry on top was that, in my opinion. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but, you know, Morally, we should be discussing what happened to this young lady, the fear she was put through, and, you know, an unwinnable situation in her eyes, right? Like, it was a very difficult situation for her to be in. And that's the thing, uh, for those who are not aware, uh, 
apparently uh, Matthews and about four or five of his friends were out by apparently Matthews condo uh, at two o'clock in the morning at around that area where a female security guard was on the clock and working uh, inside a car and Matthews and the friends uh, went up to the woman and apparently tried to gain access inside the car. From there, uh, Matthews, who apparently was inebriated, then decided to drop his pants with his underwear still on, but then was eventually uh, charged with disorderly conduct. So, you know, it, it is really difficult to say that fans and media and players and ownership of teams, they are getting the message in terms of athletes uh you know being uh model citizens and of course uh, when it comes to uh domestic issues or assault issues especially when it comes to women there and i think it started from ray rice when we saw the uh video of uh, ray rice uh, punching his uh his girlfriend in an elevator yeah and the way i see it though is that you know he was not arrested uh, i do think especially if he does get to a good start that uh fans uh would forgive listen sorry to interrupt the story itself is going to go away we're going to forget about it i mean that's just that's just how it works that's how a news cycle works um it was a you know it was a carelessly stupid mistake um by a young guy out with his friends he shouldn't be excused for it there for that though you know Here's the thing. We, we, we applaud these players of how prepared they are coming into the league at such a young age. We hear it all the time. You know, Sidney Crosby was, has been handled from the time he was 13, 14, represented by an agency. He's been prepared for this from the get-go. The same goes for Austin Matthews. So we give these guys credit for being as mature as they are when, in terms of, you know, how they handle the media, how they handle, you know, their notoriety, their popularity. So they have to be held accountable for the mis- these mistakes. That, you know, the narrative is that, oh, oh he's young and he, he was drunk and he's stupid. That, that's fine, but it, it shouldn't excuse it. But we know how a news cycle works. It goes. It goes away. And especially in a case like this where there was no physical altercation, there was no rape, there was no this, there was... It, it, it will tend to go away quicker. The bottom line is, do you learn from it? Are you owning up to it? Are you going to tell us that this was just a, just a stupid mistake? Because right now he really can't say that. He can't make himself implicit. You know, he was giving the cliche answer of an unfortunate situation that I put my organization and my teammates and other individuals through this. He never said, I made a horrible mistake that night. I wish I could take it back. When, if, if you're willing to learn from it and own up to it, when you get to that point, when you can, because obviously you got to go through the process, it's forgotten. You move on. He's going to score 40 goals, and he's a hero in Toronto. But the captaincy part, the fact that he kept it from the organization, I think that's the sticking point here. Unfortunately, you're asking me about the captaincy, and I'm giving you the answer. Is what I think is the reason why he would not be named captain if they decide not to go with it. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, between uh, Matthews, Morgan Riley, or John Tavares, I mean, Tavares, uh, you know, I, I, I personally can't see why you can't give it to or why, uh, 
or a legitimate reason not to give it to Tavares. I mean, of course, Morgan Riley has been here for some very lean years. And the reason of, I guess, giving Matthews the captaincy is that he is the uh, most talented player on the team. You know, uh, no matter what has been said, the reality is, is that there are, uh, I haven't heard a single person saying, boys will be boys because the reality is is that Matthews is 20 21 22 years old and you know you stop being a boy in my opinion uh when you get into the NHL so you hear it all the time I've heard it you know he's young he made a stupid mistake but I think there's you have to it's okay to say that because it really that's that's what happened here right the young guy he had too much to drink and he has made a mistake I don't think he's I don't think he makes a habit I don't think, but I don't know him. I don't think he makes a habit of, you know, harassing people and, and, and trying to scare them in the middle of the night. It was a bad decision on one night, but he has to take his medicine for it, 100%. You know, that narrative can't be the excuse and shouldn't excuse him. And if he is stripped of a captaincy that he potentially might have had, I'm okay with that. I, I don't have a problem with it. It's, it's, it's you know, hey, next time especially the fact that you try and cover it up. I mean, that, that, that's amazing to me. That's mind-boggling to me. How you don't broach the subject head-on with your company, especially when your company is MLSC, and they're paying you $11.6 million a year to play hockey for them. That's a huge, huge responsibility on you. You need to communicate with your organization. So uh, let's move on and... Uh... This is the uh, summer of the unsigned RFA between Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine. Uh, sorry, not Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner, uh, Patrick Laine, uh, Miko Rantanen. Uh, all three of those have just uh, re-signed. And, of course, uh, there never used to be uh, this kind of uh, contract holdout when it came to uh, young uh, budding stars uh, in the league. Uh, last year was really uh, one of the first examples with Wheel- William Nylander. Do you think that we're going to see um, uh, a trend uh, going forward when it comes to you top first line, uh, first line like players? Do you think that because of what uh, the start of what William Nylander did is, I guess maybe a start of things to come, and is this going to be the new norm? Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's there's a few things that have happened here. Number one, the the bridge deals, even though you're seeing more of them over the last few weeks, which that's another story for another day. I think that depends on what organization is doing this, and we can get into that in a little bit. But, you know, a few things have happened here, like I said. Um, the contracts coming at its entry level have become bigger and greater. The impact that these young players are making have been greater. I mean, they're, they're being thrust in the lineup a lot quicker. And I think that started happening in an attempt to try and keep the cap down. But somewhere along the way, the middle guy gets squeezed out. These young players want money quicker. And the salary cap hasn't gone up a hell of a lot either, as, as you probably might have expected by now, right? Like, if you look at the, from the lockout, the, the, the initial one in 2005, they came out of that lockout at $39 million salary cap. It's what eighty-two right now. Yeah, that's so. That's like that's like fifteen years. It's not a huge increase. Now that's expected to go up higher, according to people in the game who are saying that you know the U.S. television contract is coming up, and they expect that to go high. Plus, 
ESPN wants to get back into the game. So that can increase revenue. Plus you have Seattle uh, coming in. So that's revenue for more teams as well. So that could get the cap up. But I think those are some of the facts. I think it's absolutely going to be that as long as teams are using young players quicker, they're making impacts, right? And I don't know if that actually started with William Nylander. I think William Nylander, you know, he – he held out and won when he didn't have to win, in my opinion. I thought the Leafs had all the leverage there. I like they gave in to him. But I think it started with, um, I would go back as far back as like the Oilers when, you know, they, they were losing like crazy, but, you know, Everly and Taylor Hall and Brian Nugent Hopkins, they all got these six, seven-year deals, and they're all averaging about six, six and a half million dollars. That was an eye-opener, I think, in that, at that time. And the Sabres gave Jack Eichel, you know, full boat there, uh, you know, 10 years, uh, sorry, eight years at 10 a year. And that kind of opened the floodgates as well. But you can probably go back as far as those those three guys from the Oilers to say, hey, you know, agents started saying, well, you know, if, if this guy is getting this and this guy is getting that, I think I can, you know, squeeze this from my agent. So it's absolutely going to be the norm. I mean, who knows what the CBA is going to look like next year if things change or not, but at the end of the day, Randy, I think it's up to the teams and how they operate, right? You look, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Nobody's getting paid more than Kucherov. I'm sorry, Braden Ford, you're going to have to wait your turn. That was a sweetheart of a deal they got for him. Absolutely. He, he, he's in that department with those guys, with Marner. And Marner's overpaid, there's no question. But are you overpaid? You get what your team is going to give you. We can call them overpaid. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you definitely can't slight a player for getting uh, the kind of contract he gets. And, you know, now that now people, I think, uh, myself included, you can't, you know, look at some athlete getting tens of millions of dollars and uh, blame him for the kind of money he makes. And uh, the reality is, is that they are not going to be making this kind of money forever. And it's so few uh, people in the grand scheme of things who actually get those kind of contracts. So hey, it's not uh, it's not Marner's fault that he gets that kind of money. It's not Nylander's fault. You know, you want to look, take a look at somebody. You got to take a look at the management of the team they play for, and you know you have to wonder. You you don't want to put uh, so many expectations on uh, kids in their early twenties, but and especially let alone in. Uh, in a hockey market as uh, rabid as uh, Toronto. However, is there a uh, short uh, opportunity for the Leafs to actually capitalize and get to a cup final? The window, to me, their window is extremely short. Now, the core guys, they have locked up long-term, right? Like they have, they have Mitch, they have Willie, they have Austin locked up for, for long enough. And, and, but you know, don't forget John Tavares. That's another. That's, that's a lot of money on four players. So the window for them all of a sudden becomes a lot shorter because you just don't know, A, where the cap's going to be in a few years and how many guys you can afford to hang on to. I mean, there's Morgan Riley. Next year's UFAs on that team is Jake Muzzin and, and, and Barry. So the window is open for the Leafs for sure, but my fear and I could be completely wrong here, but the way I look at it, my fear is that it could be a lot shorter than some other teams based on the way their cap is structured right now. Okay, so uh, we're getting close to the end here, Tony. So uh, 
who do you think? Who do you think is going to take uh, the Stanley Cup come June? Uh, wow, good question. You know what? I, I have to say Tampa because I think what happened to them last year was, you know, was an aberration. I think they'll be one year better and, you know, hungrier. The West, my God, like, who knows? You know, St. Louis could get back there. Is there anybody that can sneak up that we don't know about? I don't think so. I, I think it'll be between St. Louis and Colorado, but I, I'm going to say Vegas. I'm going to say Vegas because, again, I thought that team was looking really good in the playoffs last year, and then that horse crap penalty happened to them. <laughs> yeah, they did give up. They did give up a lot of goals in a five-minute power play, which you probably shouldn't, and hopefully they've worked on their penalty kill the five-minute major ones. But, yeah, they, they were looking really, really good until that thing happened to them. You know what I mean? So I'll say Vegas and Tampa just to uh, cut it short and stop blabbing. Wow. And uh, you'd think that we were scripted because I definitely like Vegas for sure. And, you know, you just uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of Tampa – being a top team in the NHL to lose four straight to a playoff unproven team like Columbus, both Tampa and Vegas uh, are going to seek some retribution. So it uh, looks like uh, looks like the both of us are uh, choosing the same horses for the cup final in June. Listen, Tony, thank you so much uh, for this. You know, it brought me back to 2003. If uh, Dan Legere and Matt, Le- Matt Alberga... Uh, they're out there somewhere, and we hope you're doing well. And uh, Tony, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'll try and be better next time. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both, pal. We'll be back after this. Once again, my thanks to Tony and Tony U for helping me drop this first episode of What's Up the Sports podcast. A long winter will bring along NHL season. Will this be the first time a Canadian team will win the Stanley Cup since 1993? Only time will tell. So on Twitter is where I'm going to gather your comment going forward. And for a first question, let's make this an easy one. Who will win the Stanley Cup? Will Lord Stanley finally find a home north of the border, or will it remain in the United States? Twitter once again, what's up podcast, no punctuation, and 1P. Just before we leave, I want to give you a heads up for my next episode of What's Up the Sports podcast. Here's what you can expect on November 6th. It wasn't a matter of, hey, give Kawhi the ball to score. It was... They played like a team, and that's what made them champions, where I felt Golden State was just desperate and trying to shoot shots, where we played more like a team, and I think that's what won out for us. So I think this year if they carry that over and people stay healthy, like Lowry's thumb isn't a factor, then I think we're going to go far. The Toronto Raptors completed their dream season in the spring of 2019, winning the NBA championship. Now, not a lot of people are expecting the North to do the same. We'll talk NBA and lots of things Raptors in one month. That's it for me. Cheers to Tony and the Abatsi Project for helping me sign off. I'm Randy Coure, and we'll talk to you next time.